Welcome to the Godmother Podcast. I'm Lisa Bevere, and I believe that every single woman not only needs a godmother, but she can actually be a godmother. And you think, what is a godmother? Well, a godmother is someone who watches over you and transforms your seasons of hardship and challenge into seasons of triumph and strength. So if you're new around here, we are now in season two of the Godmother podcast, and we are going to be tackling everything that has to do with mamas and motherhood. Today, I am so excited to introduce you to my friend, Kayla Steckline. I don't know if you know who Kayla is. She is a magnificent writer. She just has scribed her life so well, but she had an incredible tragedy Uh, just a couple years ago, three years ago, and my life got to intersect with her. So I want to tell you a little bit about her. We first connected because she is a mob mom. You think, what is a mob mom? Well, that's a mother of boys. Anybody that's got three boys or more, you get to be a mob mom. And so she is that. But I also want you to know that she just released her first book, Fear Gone Wild, back in September of 2020. So Kayla is a speaker. She is a mental health advocate. She's a mama of three boys. And her hope is to spread awareness and hope everywhere she goes. Kayla, welcome to the Godmother Podcast. Kayla, I am so glad that I get to host you on this show. I have the utmost respect for you. You are a amazing woman of God, and you are something that I treasure. You are a mob mom. You are a mother of boys. You have three magnificently gorgeous sons. And I just want to kind of start with just kind of, let's just make it lighthearted so every mom out there is going to feel comfortable. What has been your funniest parenting moment? Oh, (laughs) my boys are wild. You know, being a boy mom, it's like every moment is the funniest parenting moment. Like they're embarrassing. They're loud. I take them to a store and they're running in every direction and they're wrestling and they're on each other's backs and they're pushing the carts. They're chasing each other down the aisle. Like it just is what it is as a boy mom. I remember there was one time I was at Hobby Lobby and I had two of my boys with me and my uh, middle son, Jethro, we call him Jet, and he is just hilarious. He is full of life. He wants to be seen. So he is loud. He is in your face. He's going to do anything to get attention. So we're standing in line at the checkout at Hobby Lobby and he turns around to talk to the lady behind us. And he said, I love being naked. Just like out loud <laughs> to the lady behind us. And it was so funny. It was so inappropriate. It was so funny. And we both laughed so hard. So there's stuff like that that happens all of the time with these wild men. But it's so fun. My house is so loud. It's full of laughter. It's full of love. It's full, like messy. And I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. I I thrive on the chaos. My husband is OCD. He kind of freaks. I mean, he's kind of like, oh my gosh, we had a family dinner the other night, and I saw John going under the sink to get the magic eraser because of grandkids <laughs> banging up against the walls. We have white walls. I don't know what we we're thinking. But you and I actually, before we ever met, we kind of connected through Moms of Men, and Havila had actually reached out to me because she 
as a mother of four boys and you three, me four. And she like texted me and said, they're always naked. I mean, I think it's just something that, that she's like, she, she, had, she had taken a picture of her boys in the backyard and they were all naked. And she's like, is this normal? Because she's a twin of a, of a female. And I'm like, yes, that's normal. She's like, I feel like they're stripping me of my femininity. But yeah, no. You know, Kayla, I remember being in Germany and uh, it was early on in our ministry days and John and I were speaking in Germany or John was speaking. I don't know what was going on. And we were walking down a hotel hallway and um, we were kind of heading towards the gym. And I remember a completely naked man was walking towards us in, in the hallway and he's drying his hair and I didn't even flinch. And then I looked at John afterwards. I said, Oh my gosh, I am used to naked men. I should not I should not be used to naked men. I that one was not mine. But yeah, I, I would freak out over a naked woman. Naked men, it doesn't I, I it doesn't even phase me. And oh I wish gosh. I could tell you that it goes away, Kayla, but it it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> Their wives are now dealing with it. So all right, I love that. Of course, I don't really feel like that's an epic mom fail or, or for you. It's a funny thing. I have yeah. some epic mom fails. Um I remember leaving Arden at somebody's house one time. I told all the boys to load up, and, you know, I just thought everybody was loaded up, and I'm driving, and I look in the rearview mirror, and I realize, oh, we're missing the baby. <laughs> just turn around and oh run back. God. So anyway, um, I want to just talk about who you are. You know, we're talking about motherhood, and, you know, you had a moment <laughs> that shifted everything. Mm -hmm. And in August of 2018, I actually remember I was in LA when the news uh, was heard that your beautiful husband had attempted to take his life. And then later on, you know, that he was gone. And you probably never, ever imagined doing motherhood with three wild and crazy, chaotic, laughter-filled boys alone. Uh, can you share just a little bit of that story? Because it's it's been three years and a pandemic, and a pandemic. And just, you know, there's a lot of women out there that maybe they're not widowed. Um, maybe they're single moms. And I just would love them to hear a little bit of, of your journey, because I feel like you're such a courageous woman. Yeah, so three years ago, you know, I was living the life of my dreams. I had everything I could have ever asked for and more. I was married to the dream guy. We were in the trenches of ministry together. He was the lead pastor of the church. We had been through hard things. We had lost his father to leukemia. We had walked our church through that. He was the pastor, and Andrew was handed the baton and became the pastor right before his dad passed away. But we had walked through that hard season, and we had led the church through that, and we were raising these three boys together. So life was full, and life wasn't always perfect, but I loved my life, and I had worked hard for that life, and I really genuinely loved being a pastor's wife. I found so much meaning. I found so much purpose in the work we were doing, and then in the fall of 2017 is when he started having these panic attacks um, that kind of happened out of nowhere, and he wrestled with those panic attacks for months and finally had a massive one that landed him in a hospital. And then just a few weeks later, we put him on a sabbatical and he was diagnosed with depression. 
And it was shocking. I mean, it was really something that I never saw coming, something that I never thought would be a part of our story. When I married Andrew in 2010, I never imagined that we would be walking through a season of depression together. I just really, truly never saw it coming. And so that summer he wrestled. He wrestled with depression. He wrestled with anxiety. He wrestled with spiritual warfare. There were a lot of things happening in our home. And we were doing everything we knew to do to get him better. He was seeing a psychiatrist. He was taking medication. We were seeing a therapist. He actually went to Colorado and spent time with a mentor. We went on a two-week road trip, just the two of us. Like, you name it, we tried it. We were doing everything we knew to do to get him better. And we actually thought he was getting better. And so he was released to go back to work in August of 2018 and hit the ground running, gave two very powerful, very raw and real messages on mental health. And it was at the time that not a lot of pastors were talking about mental health. So it was very brave, very courageous. And he was sharing his story, talked about suicide, talked about depression, gave out the suicide hotline number. He was going there. He was willing to go there. And it was so well received. And then headed into the third week, he just had a really awful day and his mental health kind of spiraled and we knew like, whoa, 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 maybe he wasn't ready to go back to work. Like maybe he needs more time off. Maybe this job isn't even the right job for him. Maybe he needs to do something else. And so while we were away from him for a little bit, um, he attempted suicide and it was shocking. I mean, I'll never forget that moment of finding out what happened and the pure just horror and terror and full body experience of what that moment was like. And it was horrible. And he was rushed to the hospital and they ran a bunch of tests and unfortunately there was nothing they could do. And so God gave us the gift of one last day with him and I got to lay on that little hospital bed with him and hold him and say goodbye. And then on August 25th, he took his last breath. And with that, I took my first breath in a life I never saw coming as a widow and single mom of three boys that were two, four, and five years old at the time. And so it's been this journey, you know, the last two and a half years, it's been this journey of navigating that, of figuring out how to be a single mom, of figuring out how to raise boys on my own. I had a sister growing up. I didn't have any brothers. So it was just me and my sister. And so I'm like, I don't know boys. I don't know how to do this. What in the world? I never imagined this would be my life. I never imagined I'd be raising three kids by myself, that I wouldn't be a pastor's wife, that I wouldn't be doing ministry the way I was doing ministry before. I mean, my life just looks completely different. It's a completely different life entirely. So every single day we're rebuilding, you know, I call it rebuilding beautiful. And it's like, I had this beautiful life with Andrew that I loved and I left that whole entire life with him in that hospital room. And I've been rebuilding since that day. And I really, truly, deeply believe that our life can still be extraordinarily beautiful and we're working towards that. So I want everybody to hear that after devastating loss, there can still be beauty. There can still be hope that, you know, and I love the promise in Isaiah 58, where it says you will use the rubbles, the rubble of past lives to build a new. And I feel like that's what you're doing. And um, it wasn't that you hated your life or hated your husband or that you didn't do everything. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times we, we have uh, some beautiful friends that their daughter committed suicide uh, uh, last year. And the question marks of, did we do enough? Did we do enough? And, you know, sometimes there's just this um, angst where this, I know this little girl had every reason to live, but she just 
did not see a future hope of getting better. And um, so now, now that you have done a couple things that were very courageous, you have not run from the pain of mental health or your story, but you have decided to do something where you are redeeming it, where you're saying, hey, this is a real issue and I'm not going to hide and I'm not going to be angry at the church or, or whatever it is. I'm not going to blame. I'm going to actually become an advocate for mental, mental health. And, you know, right now, Kayla, with everything that's gone on with the pandemic and isolation and the fear and the division and the racial tension, I, I can't imagine a more important time to be having these conversations. So what does Rebuilding Beautiful look like? for you and your family. I love that you said he took his last breath and you took your first stepping into a new life. But I know that that's an everyday decision. What does that look like to maybe a woman who's gone through divorce or is a single mom or lost her job? What does that look like? What would you say to her and what would you give her as some steps to start? I would say it's a choice. I would say it's a brave choice. It's a brave choice to choose to move forward. And there were a lot of days, um, you know, in the last two and a half years where I didn't know that I could, I didn't know that I would, that I felt overwhelmed with pain to the point of death where I'm like, I don't think I can live another day with this overwhelming pain. So I would say that I resonate with your pain. If you're walking through that, if you're trying to move forward, if you're trying to rebuild your life, like I am so deeply sorry for your pain. And And no one wants to minimize that pain. That pain you're feeling is real. That pain you're feeling is valid. And I would say what I've discovered in the last few years is that living with the pain is possible, that that pain will always be a part of my reality. That pain will always be a part of my life. But but building a beautiful landscape around that pain is possible. And so I would say that's what rebuilding beautiful is. It's daring to dream beyond the destruction of our reality. It's daring to hope that there are better days ahead. It's daring to reinvent yourself. You know, I've had to totally reinvent myself. I was so, my whole entire identity was wrapped up into who Andrew was. I identified as a pastor's wife. That's who I was. And I loved it. And so he's gone and I'm no longer a pastor's wife. And my identity is not wrapped up in him anymore and what he did. So now I'm asking the question, who am I? Who am I now that Andrew's gone? What do I like? What do I not like? What do I want to do with the time that I have left? Why do I get more time? And so it's sitting with those questions and being willing to do the work of answering those questions, of going to therapy and sitting with a therapist, of journaling and writing. One of the biggest healing parts for me has been getting away and doing little retreats, little solitude retreats on my own. I book a nice hotel room and I hire a babysitter and I sneak away for three nights and just have uninterrupted time to dream, to write, to create, to look to the future and say, what do I want to do? You know, I describe my life as going from the passenger seat in life to the driver's seat. When Andrew was alive, I was in the passenger seat and he knew where we were going and he was full of vision. Then all of a sudden he's gone and I have to start driving the car And I'm looking out over the horizon with these three boys in the back. And I'm like, where are we going? They're asking me, mom, where are we going? I'm asking myself, where in the world are we going? And so I would say it's answering that question. And you get to answer that question. Like what a gift and what a privilege it is to be able to answer that question, to be here, 
to have more time, to have breath in our lungs, to have the uh, opportunity to ask ourselves that question and to reinvent ourselves. You know, for me, I'm I'm only 31 years old, so I still have a lot of life ahead. And so I'm looking out over that horizon and I'm like, you know, I have no clue. <laughs> I have no clue what the next 5, 10, 15 years look like, but I know what I can do today. I know that I can show up and be the best mom that I can be to those boys. I know that I can dare to dream again. I can I can chase down the things that my heart desires. You know, one of the biggest things for us was moving. We recently moved um, about an hour away from where we were before. And I had to do that because I felt like I was living in a cemetery. I felt like I was living in this dark cloud of this old life that I used to have. And I couldn't heal there anymore. And so I had this dream of, you know what, what would life be like if we moved to the ocean? You know, how much more beautiful would our life be? And I just felt this pull and this draw. And so I sold the house and I moved. You know, like we have the ability to create whatever kind of life we want to create. And it's a gift. You know, I see this season of singleness and this season of being a single mom as a total gift in disguise, a gift that I never saw coming, um, a gift that I would have never asked for. Um, But I've been able through my healing journey to get to this place where I'm sitting in this posture of gratitude and like, wow, I get to live where I live. I get to raise these three beautiful boys. I get to be their mom. The work that I'm doing is meaningful. Um, We get to recreate the life that we want. We have the power to recreate the life that we want. And I think that that for anybody that's in a season of rebuilding, a season of moving forward, just know that like you have the courage, you have the power, you can create whatever kind of life you want to create. You have beautiful dreams and you have every ability to chase down whatever those beautiful dreams are. And you're still here and you still have breath and you still have time left. And God wants to do beautiful things with your life. So I would say keep going, keep showing up, keep pulling back the covers and getting out of bed every single day, even the days when it's really hard and you're really tired because being a single mom is exhausting. Um, But it's possible. It's possible to move forward with that pain and it's possible to build a beautiful life despite it. Hey there. We're taking a quick break to say, if you're loving this podcast, make sure to check out Lisa's latest book, Godmothers, Why You Need One, How to Be One. You can get the book, audiobook, or ebook today on Amazon or anywhere books are sold, or find a link in the show notes of this episode. And now, back to the show. I love that. I, you, you brought up so many um, key tools. I want to just make sure, number one, taking the time to create a sacred space. And maybe some of you can't get away to a hotel room, but you can find spaces. You can, you can maybe find windows of time or, you know, put your kids, I know this sounds like bad parenting, (laughs) stick them in front of a movie, you know, and lock yourself in and, and just listen and just listen. Uh, I know for me, uh, God, long, long time ago, when I had broken areas of my life that felt like nightmares, uh, God would say the number one way to fight a nightmare is with a dream. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're going to have to be courageous enough to dream. And one of one of my favorite quotes is by Wendell Phillips. He says, Christianity is a battle, not a dream. But if we are going to be brave enough to dream, we're going to have to be willing to fight. And sometimes fighting looks like putting pen to paper. Sometimes fighting looks like 
pulling back those covers and getting out of bed. Uh, I'm guessing, you know, I, I remember, I remember after the birth of one of my sons, I felt myself on the edge of a full-fledged depression, but my boys were driving cars over me. And so I was like, I, I don't, okay, I can't even have a depression. I'm just going to have to get up and get moving. And in so many ways, that was a gift. You know, um, what has, I mean, I, I love this imagery of going from a passenger seat to a driver's seat. The truth is you're still moving. And, and I love that you didn't get out of the car, that you didn't wreck the car, that you didn't say, I refuse to drive. Um, what, has, what has been the most rewarding thing about being an advocate for mental health? I, I, want, I want you to share that with me. Oh, wow. You know, it kind of just happened. I was, Andrew passed away and I was handed this microphone and I chose to speak. I chose, you know, I wanted Andrew's life to be defined by the way he lived, not just the way he died. And the way he died was the thing making the headlines. And so I chose to share the things that I had been learning um, after his death, the things that I'd been learning about suicide, the things I'd been learning about depression and anxiety. You know, I was on this journey of, of learning why did this happen? Why did this happen to Andrew? How did we not see this coming? I'm sitting with these questions of what, what could I have done? What more could I have done to prevent this? Like, why do these things happen? And so as I was finding answers to those questions, I was just sharing, you know, what I was learning and writing blog posts about it and writing things on social media about it. And it was so beautiful to see right away within the first two weeks the way that God was right away redeeming our story. I mean, the, there were messages coming in, there were emails coming in, there were handwritten letters coming in saying things like, your public grief has saved my life. I was contemplating suicide and I, just, I decided to call the suicide hotline number instead. I had a mom stop me at the school drop-off and tell me that her husband read a blog that I wrote and checked himself into rehab that morning. So there were so many stories coming in right away um, that just showed me like, whoa, you know, this is so much bigger than Andrew. This is so much bigger than me. Um, our stories are powerful. And when we're willing to pick up the microphone and we're willing to share, not like from this place of I have all the answers, from, but from this place of this is what I'm learning and this is what God's teaching me and this is what I'm learning about this topic, it's so helpful. And so it's been super rewarding to, to dive right into. It's been healing for me to dive right into um, suicide and depression and just learning more about it and understanding, coming to a better place of understanding of what happened to Andrew. I would say it's grown in my empathy. It's grown my empathy for Andrew. It's grown my compassion for Andrew. It's grown my empathy and compassion for others that are struggling with their mental health. I see it now um, with so much clarity that I wish I would have seen it then. You know, I think I had all these misconceptions when he was struggling, that he was being selfish, that, that, you know, how come he couldn't just shake it off? I would say stuff like that, that to him. And now, like, I would never say that to him. And so it's been really healing for me to kind of step back and see it from a bird's eye view of like, this is what happened. And, you know, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't anything that Andrew would have ever chosen. Um, and this is, it's part of being human. We all have pain. And sometimes our pain feels so overwhelming that we feel like there's no way out. And that's why suicide happens is we feel like there's no way. Our pain is never going to end and we can't live with that pain for another day. And so 
it's just been helpful. I feel like it's been so healing for me and I'm just so grateful for the way that it's been healing for others too. So I feel like it's been a gift all around um, to be able to share what I'm learning on the platform that I have and through the book that I wrote. And then it's been healing for my heart as well as I'm grieving the loss of my husband and just learning all kinds of things that I didn't know before. You know, uh, Kayla, I remember reaching out to you. I, uh, again, was just so struck as, as someone who could have been Andrew's mom, you know, I'm old enough to have given birth to him and you, of course. And, and just thinking, you know, wow, where, where did we, where did we go wrong? And, um, I reached out to you and you were gracious enough to open up your life. And there was just something about the way you were writing that felt really pure to me. You weren't, um, you, you weren't angry, but you also weren't guarded. You were vulnerable, but you were gracious. And, and I had such a sense that you, you were actually inviting some people on a journey with you that you didn't have to invite them to be on. And so I remember reaching out to you and, and when I read Fear Gone Wild, which we'll have in the notes for everybody to be able to get a hold of, I just... I read it all in just a very short amount of time and just sat there and cried. You handled something so painful and so it, at once dark and and at once tragic with beauty. I felt like you were in that story rebuilding beauty into your life. And I know there's going to be people uh, that are listening to this that either their husband or their wife is wrestling with some of these same challenges that Andrew went through. And, and they're sitting there saying, wait, wait, what is it that Kayla wishes she would have said instead of shake it off or instead of you're being selfish? Could you share some of the things that you learned that you wish that you would have had as a tool or anything that you could say, I wish I would have noticed this marker um, and just share with them what mm-hmm. you would what you would wish you could have done or said? There are so many things I wish I could have done differently. And I say that with also having grace for myself. And I, and I really, truly did the best that I could with the season that I was in and with the knowledge that I did have in that season. So I would say, don't shame yourself if you're not doing it the right way, but we can all learn and grow. Um, but the biggest things that I've learned on the other side of that journey um, is how important it is for, for any kind of mental health to be mental illness to be treated as a team. It's so important to have a team um, surrounding that person that's sick. I mean, if you're co-burdening that depression or you're co-burdening that anxiety or you're co-burdening those suicidal thoughts and you haven't invited other people in, I would say the biggest thing that I've learned is that it's important to invite other people in. It's important to have a close circle of friends that you can be real with, that you can be raw with, that you can say, like, we're having a really bad day or this is what they're going through can you show up can you be here like they're isolating in the bedroom but I need you to come over and sit with them they won't come out but I need you to come over and sit with them you know for Andrew and I um it was really just me and him he had a team of doctors and then we had his family that would have dropped anything to be there at any moment and we're very supportive but I did not do a good job of inviting other people into my own pain. You know, Andrew had his pain, but the person that's co-burdening, like you also have your own unique pain. Like what you're living with, what you're going through is just as hard. It's just as difficult. And so I wish that I would have um, allowed myself to have some more time to 
sneak away then. I wish I would have hired a babysitter and gone away by myself and taken time to refuel. You know, I was running on empty. And because of that, I wasn't able to show up and be there the way that I needed to be there for Andrew. And so taking that time to fill yourself back up, to go get dinner with friends, to go sneak away and rest for a weekend. I mean, you're pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. And if you're raising kids at the same time, I mean, it's just impossible. So I would say treat it as a team, invite people in, tell people how you're really feeling, be vulnerable. Vulnerable. I really had a hard time too, because Andrew was a pastor. And so a lot of my friends, he was their pastor. And so I felt like if I shared what was really happening at home, that they would see him as weak, that they wouldn't see him as strong, that they would see him as incapable of doing his job. And so I had so much shame. And so I would say releasing yourself from that shame, just being willing to say, this is how it is. <laughs> and maybe if you are a pastor's wife, like finding a circle of friends outside of the church, you know, other people that maybe they're not, he's not their pastor. And you can sit down and talk with them and share what's really going on. I mean, I had friends that didn't go to our church and I chose not to share with them. I would also say, get your hands on as many resources as you can. There's beautiful resources out there, different books you can read, different things you can read online. I mean, the NAMI website by, by itself is a beautiful resource. Psychology Today is a beautiful resource. I mean, there's so many um, beautiful resources on mental health, and I, I didn't read any of those. You know, I was so exhausted. I was so run dry um, being a mom and trying to be a supportive wife. I didn't have any space. In my quiet space, I didn't want to pick up a book on mental health. I, I wish that I would have. I would also say that any talk of suicide has to be taken seriously, must be taken seriously. There was one time that Andrew mentioned suicide, and I talk about it in the book. We were sitting at the kitchen counter after the kids had gone to bed, and he told me he was up the night before, and he had his org charts for the church all spread all over the counter, and he thought about killing himself. And my reaction to his admission was, Andrew, that's the most selfish thing you could ever do. Like, you would never do that. I just dismissed it. I just totally dismissed it and genuinely believed, like, he would never do that. And so I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell his doctors. I didn't tell our family. I didn't tell our therapist. I didn't ever bring it up again. And so I would say any talk of suicide, even if you don't believe that they would ever do it, even if you believe that they're being dramatic in the moment or they're being selfish in the moment, like any talk of suicide must be taken seriously. You have to pick up the phone and call the suicide hotline number. You have to pick up the phone and call the therapist. Like you have to clue other people in and you have to be willing to say the word suicide out loud. I think that word makes us feel so uncomfortable that we don't like even saying it. But we have to be willing to say it. I wish I would have asked Andrew every single day, are you having suicidal thoughts today? Hey, are you struggling with suicidal thoughts today? And then when he would have told me, when he told me that he was struggling, I wish I would have leaned in. I wish I would have asked more questions. Questions like, do you have a suicide plan? What problem are you trying to solve through suicide? Do you know when or how you would do it? How often do you think about it? I wish I would have leaned in and helped him open up. And maybe that conversation could have led to solutions he had never thought about before. You know, there's so many different things in hindsight that I wish I would have done differently. Um, but I think leaning in, I think growing in our understanding, I think inviting other people in on the journey with us. And I think being raw and transparent with that team of professionals that is around that person as well. Like, you have to advocate for them because they can't advocate for themselves because they're sick. And so I think being able to sneak away and fill yourself back up so you can have your head on straight to be able to be there for them is just so important too. Wow. That, Kayla, thank you so much. And, you know, I, I do want to highlight that 
I am very concerned that a lot of pastors' wives are the most um, unsupported and isolated groups of people because they do feel if they're asking for help for their husband, they're saying that their husband is helpless or that they're uncovering him or that they're uh, breaking apart the church or being divisive. And, you know, if you're out there and you're hearing this and you're a pastor's wife, you, there's things that you can navigate alone. This is not one of them. And and you need to get the help that you need. And just in case people are thinking, no, 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 true Christians, we don't need counseling. We don't need any kind of therapy. That's a lie. We all need tools. And, and yes, we pray, and, and prayer is a weapon, but you have to have tools to be able to work with things. And, you know, so I want everybody to know that John and I totally, 100% believe in the power of prayer, but we also believe in the wisdom of having tools, having accountability, having relationships with people who are for you, who are not just uh, using you for a season or have idolized you, but really, really care about your growth and your health. And so um, if for some reason you have been living a lie or you have been afraid. I, I hope you are hearing what, what Kayla is saying. It is not wrong to step back. It is not wrong to be able to say, we're, we're going to, I love you. And because I love you, I've, I've already reached out and are bringing some people around you because I can't, I can't carry this alone. Um, you know, Kayla, I was a caregiver for my mom. She'd had a stroke and she'd, you know, lost some of her, um, facilities are left side of her body and she had dementia. And, and I just know that, um, that was caregiving is one of the most exhausting seasons of my life. And then being a mother of young children on top of that, you know, it, it's a lot. And, and I, I love that you have grace for yourself. You know, one of the things that I've, I learned a years ago is you can't do better if you don't know better. You know, you can't do, you can't do what you don't know. And I'm sure when you were exhausted, the last thing you wanted to do was immerse back into the world of mental illness. You were like, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm not, this is not my time to do this. And so I just want to, I want to thank you. And then I know the the theme around all of this, which seemed like at times, I'm sure a contradiction for you. You know, you guys started with God's got this when your father-in-law was terminally ill and the heartbreak of that. Can you tell a little bit about how that banner has remained over your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was this phrase my father-in-law shared with each of his kids in the little ICU room at the hospital when he found out that he was diagnosed with leukemia. He pulled each of his kids in one by one and said, hey, the doctor said I have leukemia. There's a kind you want and a kind you don't want. And I have the kind you don't want, but God's got this. And so it's been this, it's been this phrase, it's been this mantra, it's been these words that we deeply believe, our family has deeply believed that God is in control. Like no matter what we go through, no matter what seasons we go through, no matter what loss we go through, we can find comfort in the fact, we can find hope in the fact that God is with us and that God is in control and that there is hope that we cannot see and that his love is, has never left us. And it's, it's been something that I've clung to, you know, something that our family and our church clung to through that four-year leukemia journey. And then after 
his dad passed away. It was a phrase that our church clung to in their grief. And then as Andrew was struggling with his mental health and and died by suicide, it was another, you know, season where our church clung to that phrase in our grief. And we started a blog and launched a website. And we did these things that Andrew had these dreams of having t-shirts and sweatshirts. And so we got to do all that, you know, in his name and for him. And I feel like it really held our family together, gave us something to work on together, gave us a purpose to have together. And these words that have been our lifeline, like no matter what, we always circle back to, no matter whatever it is, whatever hard thing that we're facing today, God's got this. And it's just that, it's that trust fall of like, I am releasing all of it to you, all of my anxiety, all of my fear, all of my trauma, all of the hard things that I've gone through. I am releasing that to you and I'm falling back into your arms and I'm trusting that you're holding me and that you're with me and that you're making a way, even though I can't see a way, that you're making a way, that you're opening doors, that you're going to lead me, that you're going to provide for me, that you're going to take care of me. And so, you know, it's been such a beautiful, I'm so grateful that my father-in-law said those words in that hospital room all those years ago and that we've been able to carry them through to today. And it's been a gift to our family. And I know that those words have been a gift to so many. So I'm just really grateful. I love that. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question. Is there a book or a show that you are enjoying, just, just enjoying right now? I'm reading the book Big Magic by Elizabeth Elizabeth Gilbert, and I okay. she'd written it a while ago, and I had never picked it up. And honestly, it's been the most beautiful book for anybody that's creative. Um, it's a nonfiction book, and it just talks about like the spirit of creativity and working with the spirit of creativity. And gosh, it's been so freeing and so healing for me um, just to learn from her and read her words and the way that because of the work that I do and writing and speaking and doing these things, it is very a very creative space to be sitting in. And so just this relationship with creativity, um, it's totally flipped the script on that for me. And it's been so helpful in the way that I um, just navigate creativity. I love that. I just got the book yesterday by Francis Schaeffer called Art and God. And he was exploring that concept of creativity and God's expression through art and how the church would have a tendency to minimize it rather than celebrate creativity. And yet it's such a expression of the creator. So I love that. Okay. Thanks for sharing that with us. Okay. So what is something that you are excited about or believing for in this season right now? I am just so excited about where we live. I'm excited about building a life here. We just moved here in October of last year. And so it's still pretty fresh and pretty new, but I am just, every single day I wake up and walk out to my living room and look out the window and see the ocean. And I just am so deeply grateful to be where we are and to be putting down roots where we are and to be having a fresh start and starting over here. So just pumped about that. Now, do you have family and friends in that area? I do. I have two of my best friends live down here. So it's been such a gift to be able to spend more time with them and like really do life with them. You know, where I was before, a lot of my friends were working moms. And so there wasn't a lot of time and space. And And here, it's just like we go for runs. Like three days a week, we're out on the trail running together. We're like doing dinner with our kids together. We're doing play dates at the park together. I feel like there's so much more community here than I had before too. So I'm so grateful. Well, we have some special friends that live in San Clemente that are around your age. I'm going to text you their names afterwards and see if you guys can't get connected as well. All right. Well, Kayla, thank you so much. I hope you know how much I love you, how much I believe in 
God's hand on your life, how proud I am to watch you grow in a season of devastation, how I've been able to see you rise, you know, just rise. And, you know, I, I still think of you as that, that beautiful girl beating away the buzzards that would try to make everything ugly and everything dead and to redeem a legacy of God has got this and you just do it so well. And I just thank you for taking the time and taking the risk of loving other people and just getting your story out there. So I'm going to ask one more thing. How can people stay in touch with you? What is the best way? Yeah, the place that I hang out on the most is social media. So Instagram, my Instagram handle is Kayla Steck. Okay. And if for some reason you can't find her there, I follow her so you can just see who I follow. But Kayla, she writes beautifully. She'll bring you to tears. She posts pictures of her children, usually with clothes on, so it's it should be okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I I love that your son loves to be naked. So that's just that just makes me smile. It just brings all my my, my boy mom things back to me. My I was downstairs with my youngest son. Right before our interview, he was over here doing a podcast, and I just, it's just something that's so special between moms and sons. And I'm just so happy you're surrounded with nakedness and laughter <laughs> and joy and hugs and mess and chaos. It's just wonderful. It is. Thank you, Lisa. And I love you. And I'm so grateful I got to connect with you today. Thank you for having me on. It's been such a treat. It was my honor. I hope you love her as much as I do. I find that Kayla is a woman of tender, courageous strength. I just, I've met her and spent a little bit of time with her over the last couple years. And just each and every time, I actually just can see the growth and the character that God is weaving in her. And I am just excited to see Kayla's story continue to unfold. I want to thank you for joining us for this Godmother's podcast today. I love having you along for this ride in season two of the Godmother podcast. We have some really exciting guests coming up, and I can't wait to introduce you to them. So stay tuned. Also, if you haven't already, please join us on this journey by subscribing, rating the show. It actually really helps us get the word out there. And I'd love to have you be part of the Godmother family. So until next time, this is your podcast Godmother, Lisa Bevere. Thanks for listening to the Godmother podcast. Let us know your thoughts by leaving a review. You can subscribe and share these episodes through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to check out our other shows in the Messenger Podcast Network, including Conversations with John and Lisa, the Messenger Podcast, and Let's Talk About It with Sons and Daughters. You can connect with Lisa through Facebook, Instagram, and through her website at lisabevere.com. Until next time.